Welcome to the Organic Wine Podcast. Hello, this is Adam Huss coming to you from Los Angeles, California. Thanks so much for listening. The Organic Wine Podcast is brought to you by Centralis Wine. Centralis is my winery based here in central Los Angeles where we've converted our urban lot into a permaculture wine garden that we call Crenshaw Crew. I started Centralis as an ecologically centered winery because I realized that whether you want to be or not, you are a farmer and the vineyard doesn't end at the edge of the rows of vines. You can buy our wines and learn more at centraliswine.com. That's C-E-N-T-R-A-L-A-S wine.com. And if you join our wine club, you'll get access to our Crenshaw Crew wines. Aaron Brown and Colin Blackshear of Bardo Cider are my guests for this episode. This is their first podcast, and I'm honored to be able to spread the word about the remarkable work that they are doing. They have built Bardo Cider since 2019 to a significant production of over 150 barrels by gleaning fruit from abandoned, forgotten, and derelict old orchards in Northern California. Orchards that were planted in the late 1800s and early 1900s. These trees have learned to survive only on the winter rains and despite human neglect, and this has made their fruit all the more exciting with age. Working with them has connected Aaron and Colin to the history of this land in some very meaningful and even spiritual ways. They clearly have a humility and respect for the wisdom of these elder beings that they work with, and through cider, they've begun to realize a larger responsibility they have to protect and preserve these orchards. So often, wine and cider are produced from an egotistical standpoint. I decided I wanted to make a certain kind of wine or cider, so I found or planted vineyards or orchards to meet my specifications and invested my will and desires and resources into bringing my ego vision to reality. When this is my approach, is the wine or cider that I end up with really a reflection of the terroir or just my ego? Colin and Aaron of Bardo Cider remind me that there is another approach. I could instead look to work in service of what is already thriving without my ego, despite that it may not be exactly what I thought I wanted or had in mind or intended. I could work to highlight and preserve the beautiful work that was already being done before me and that will continue on once I'm gone. Could this lead to a truer reflection of place? And if applied to my entire life more broadly, is this the kind of perspective that could lead to abundance? This recording begins with a conversation already in progress. Enjoy. When we started, we uh, we worked with um, this uh, character uh, Yeti, who sort of introduced us to our, the first orchards that we worked with. Um, and um, he's a, a, f- a farmer who has run a lot of different um, uh, uh, farms around California in the past few decades, um, and um, has sort of developed a lot of uh, more kind of intuitive um, uh, practices of farming. And, um, and I think learning from, from him, you, you begin to realize what, what sort of works and what doesn't in, in different, um, disciplines up, up and to where we are now. Um, you know, and, um, there was this sort of, we've, we've kind of, there's the kind of, uh, Amigo Bob school who we've kind of, cross paths with um that's up you know in the in the gold country and stuff Uh um and then there is uh of course in bastopol there's um a lot of farming communities and disciplines um uh that have developed their own approaches and then um uh and then other other you know areas of california And, and basically what what we've kind of or where we feel like we are right now is, is sort of, um, with apples, there isn't really, um, uh, a discipline that, that we can sort of, uh, apply completely, um, to, to apples in order to make wine or, you know, cider. Um, and that's, that's the sort of thing that, uh, we're having to kind of unpack is how, how to sort of, um, uh, appreciate and um and respect where we've where we've got to at this point you know with organic farming biodynamics permaculture and stuff but at the same time um 
realize that that those sort of farming practices um, don't totally apply to to old orchards, which is um, the where our interest lies because it makes better wine or cider because essentially it isn't really farmed. Um, they've gone derelict or, uh, well, or in a sense yeah. of abandoned in terms of uh, traditional farming uh, approaches. Um, and then, yeah, I could kind of start from the beginning, but that's, yeah, that's well, I'm sort of so we're, paradox right now. Um, it's, I love just jumping right in. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, just to give context, we, we were talking about this idea of permaculture, the word permaculture and, mm-hmm. and the caveats around that and the sort of ideas that it's, you know, really an outgrowth of ancient traditions and ideas and wisdom uh, that has just, you know, a new label and, and can be approached from a lot of different ways, intuitive versus sort of, you know, the, the permaculture design courses that are out there and um, all this tying back into what you guys do. And so let's just jump right back to that sort of as a starting point of, of what do you guys do? You for Who are you and <laughs> what do you do? Uh, Colin, Aaron, and uh, my brother Evan and Colin's wife, Jackie, make a Bard of Cider, which up till now is um, is a cider project, but we've we've started to branch out and do uh, co-ferments and stuff with different winemakers and um, some breweries and and uh, other other sort of um, projects and ideas like that. How long have you guys been? Has Bardos existed? Our first vintage was nineteen twenty nineteen. Okay, great. Yeah, same but as, it was same as us. Yeah, yeah, it was a you know a hobby, um, and uh, I. Uh, started making cider in England. I was over there for a little while and that's where the sort of the, his, the historic lens kind of um, appeared because I sort of fell in with some, some cider makers in Somerset, Herefordshire, out in Wales, and then kind of followed the, followed the clues up to, you know, Yorkshire um, and just around uh, areas in, in the UK and was really in admiration of, uh, the lifestyle of these people um and it, what about it like how so well they they were sort of very metaphysical they they didn't really uh uh use big words they were you know they're engaged with the land there was you know they would they would be pressing juice and kind of like stick their hand in it and taste it and sort of nod or shake their head and um it felt very uh you know, poetic and intuitive and mysterious and, and simple. And, you know, every day they were doing it. And, and there, there are people who are, you know, look 90 years old, just sitting around and enjoying their lives and interfacing with nature and stuff. Um, and it sort of reminded me of growing up in Sonoma, Colin and I, you know, went to Sonoma High and um, reconnected over the Cider Project. But it was like Sonoma was just so, uh, so corporate and so uh, just starved of soul. You know, we, you know, I think yeah. we ha- hated wine culture. Yeah. Um, and since, you know, since some peers have started doing wine that that is relatable. But uh, I kind of well, I, I, I just there was something about the cider makers that, you know, reminded me of these old photos. You'd see like uh, the old, you know um wine people in the 70s like black and white photos sitting at a diner at you know 4 a.m with dirty and cowboy hats Mm. and stuff and uh that seemed cool and i could relate to to that but the but the you know what what us millennials sort of received was just this really corporate kind of parody of 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 wine culture um so so the cider thing almost seemed like a like a subversive rebellion because you know, coming back to California, there were all these abandoned orchards and, um, and it was like this virtually free stuff. Um, and if you did it the way that they did it in Europe, you didn't, you didn't, yeah, you didn't use any, um, you know, yeast or sulfites. It was all, it was all, um, wild fermentation. And, um, and in England, they would focus on the abandoned, uh, uh, Victorian orchards. So you'd kind of just, knock on doors and stuff Mm. and basically you know just brought that paradigm back and there's all these abandoned 
um, historic orchards around California, you would you would basically call them homestead orchards or you know turn of the century orchards. And um, and so coming back, uh, started doing that, and then that's that's how Colin and I reconnected because we're both kind of interested in this kind of um, sort of psychogeographical overlay of um, history. The, the problem the problem with the United States is you start digging in history around here and it gets real, uh, real kind of, um, uh, challenging. Uh, you could say there's a lot of kind of like sadness and stuff. So we, yeah. So, yeah. you know, of course that takes you back to this indigenous lens too. Um, yeah. which you could talk a lot more about. Um, but just to kind of go full circle, that's, that's where, you know, uh, biodynamics and permaculture gets a little funny is because these are uh, appropriated concepts uh, right. from Australia or Europe. And um, as, as inspired as they are, um, they sort of arrest your own agency sometimes to really uh, attune yourself to your environment and understand um, what your kind of human relationship is with, with, with plants and, um, animals and and the you know the earth and stuff um Mm. so it's 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 not to not to put down any paradigms but um it's it's almost like we're not sometimes we want to feel like we're done but it's we certainly aren't done you know um in terms of figuring out how these different life forms work together um yeah that's really well said yeah and especially i mean you know in North America, um, we can really see the, this sort of detachment from, uh, from the land and, you know, uh, the environment that the, you know, the indigenous people have had stewarded for, you know, since time immemorial and, you know, give us 150 years to suddenly, you know, uh, yeah, raise it. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's, there is a narrative where the indigenous, you know, people talk about indigenous cultures retrospectively, which is very disrespectful because they're, you know, you know, there's more than ever, you know, indigenous people in the United States. Um, so it's really a matter of kind of um, getting those dialogues, you know, um, back in the foreground and, and uh, how, how these, these lands were stewarded, you know, and how, um, uh, how we can sort of reintegrate that, that wisdom, um, I would I would say that would be the step after permaculture and and organic and biodynamics and stuff. Yeah, those are sort of gateway to start paying attention to yeah. <laughs> to the uh, yeah. Um, how maybe I don't I don't know if this is a good ca- question for Colin. Just wanted to hear from Colin, but um, you you were talking about how that applies to or or doesn't apply to tending these old orchards and you know can either of you talk more about that like what does that mean what what are you learning about them is it and why is that is it because these aren't indigenous plants obviously apple trees no. um what wh- why is it like what is the what what is what are you learning and why why is it different well maybe maybe i can you know go back for a moment in, in terms of my connection and reconnection with Aaron. And, uh, that'd be great. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I came to Sonoma when I was in elementary school, uh, with my mom after, you know, she split with my dad and, um, came from a city life in, in our backyard, there was kind of a food forest of apricots and plums and grapes, um, that I, I just had an instant love of these old fruits that were kind of emerging from our backyard. And, um, you know, so that's where my love of, you know, fruit trees sort of spawned. And, and now, you know, at my house, I also have a, a food forest. Um, you know, I moved, yeah. moved away from Sonoma and, you know, just work, 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 working all the time, not paying attention to, you know, the food that I put in my body. And um, ended up moving back to Sonoma and really became kind of focused on planting food and uh, learning about the soil and sort of coming to the realization that soil is really the, the, you know, the basis of any, you know, quality thriving fruit, in my experience, at least. And um, so when Aaron and I reconnected, you know, he had been making cider and 
you know, I just have this fascination with fruit trees. And, um, you know, we started searching out apple trees in the neighborhood. And, you know, he told me about scrumpy, which is, <laughs> you know, an English term or maybe not an English term, but came from your time in England, Aaron. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, collecting kind of the random apples from the neighborhood and making juice and fermenting it into cider. And so we started doing that, you know, in our, you know, within Sonoma, finding old trees, um, you know, and there's something about older trees that have just been established, dry farming, you know, no, you know, if you can get a tree to a place where you don't need to water it and it's just surviving, then it's, there's some magic behind that. Um, and, uh, you know, that really is yeah. what spawned our, our, our Bardos collaboration. And, uh, you know, it's been kind of a giant experiment, but the, um, the, um, you know, finding old orchards, you know, there's Aaron and I both have kind of a strong passion for California history and, you know, there's, there's a lot to it, but, um, you know, the fact that there are these old orchards that, you know, gold miners went off and, and planted that still exist today. So there's there's sort of a treasure hunt aspect to finding these old unused apples, you know. Mm. Um, so that the historical component is really what drives my passion for the project. Mm. Now, um, how have the trees been doing the last couple of years up there? Uh, it's it's hard to it's hard to really tell. I mean, um, with, so you haven't had like a decline in production from them. Well, or? as as Colin and I have have um, experienced, there's this you know there's the bumper crop concept. So these really old trees. Right. So one year they do you know vegetative growth, yet the other year they do fruit. Um, so really, uh, it's it's all sort of um, sort of retrospective. Uh, right. You have to have like a, a a lot of data going back a few yeah, years. Yeah, got it. And of course, there'll be big dieouts, you know, because these things are old. Um, but yeah, but they've also lived a really long time. Um, some of them are over a hundred years old, haven't been irrigated or really farmed, you know, at all. Um, have gone through decades of neglect. Um, uh, so uh, kind of back to what what Colin was saying, though. Um, the the I think I think what really projected the both of us um, uh, into this was were these sort of um, sort of story, stories of horticulturalists uh, who were just sort of coming out and experimenting with different varietals of of all different kinds, um, and you know from Luther Burbank in Sonoma County to Albert Eder up in Humboldt to uh, Humboldt cider people uh, are are working on. Uh, preserving some of the that experimental orchard up up out on the lost coast um and then uh there was the amigo bob and adams uh project the felix chalet institute up in uh, nevada city which was really inspiring um and you sort of fall in with these people and you know you're knocking on doors hopping you know basically hopping fences sort of getting scions and of weird varietals that were planted you know 100 years ago as experiments and are probably the only you know in some cases the only version of that varietal in the world you know but they've been living on their own because they were developed for this climate um yeah wow uh so so in a sense um you know as we continue to do this to to credit the varietals themselves uh feels a little um bankrupt because what's really uh creating the personality of of this fruit and wine is the is the environment and the, and the soil um like colin was saying just, uh, this, uh if not more than the varietals i think i think we could do we could make a superior cider from a ancient gravenstein tree than a farmed kingston black you know i think yeah um and that was something I've heard. Uh, I can't remember. Um, uh, oh, now I'm going to forget it. It's somebody up in the Finger Lakes, the cider maker, said the same thing about Macintosh. Um, oh, like an ancient Macintosh, like a yeah, would be better than you know the the best farmed um, you know cider cider wine. apple. Yeah. So we've we've really leaned into that, and 
Um, I think what's been fun with Bardos is that California, at least Northern California is, well, Southern California, obviously too, is such an arid climate. So when Burbank came out, he came for the sandy loam uh, because it was so easy to grow things um, and the, and the climate in Sebastopol. And uh, so these trees just live pretty happily on their own. uh, And, and, and because of the dry sort of Mediterranean climate, they, they're sort of on the one hand stressed, but on the other hand, content. So they have really expressive fruit um, mm. when they're not micromanaged or overwatered. Because on the East Coast in Europe, they just get a lot more water. Um, yeah. But, uh, but on the other hand, what Colin and I have messed around with, when we, especially when we first started um, with uh, Derek Trowbridge, uh, is is the there's not a lot of acid in the in the in the apples whereas on the east coast there are um so we we really uh started messing around with maceration to get you know oxidative acid and that's Mm. been a a pretty serious tool for us um making cider um and uh that was yeah that was something that wasn't really I didn't really clock in Europe. It was just kind of coming back here. Um, and, and actually meeting winemakers, I think, you know, talked a little trash on wine in the beginning, but when I came back and fell in with Colin, Colin was his old friends with like Ross Kennard and, you know, Nick Katuri and these kind of cool, uh, the cool people in Sonoma. So <laughs> Colin kind of, um, opened up these these doors of getting you know kind of thinking wine is cool again or and farming and all this all this stuff i don't know colin if you have any more to say about what what you all were doing or talk what what you talk about as friends but i mean it's yeah mainly just you know the idea of farming in general is you know there's kind of the old the old ways of doing things pre-industrial revolution you know, fo- mm. focusing on the soil, not spraying, you know, poison on your, on your food, um, you know, <laughs> crazy idea, basic, crazy ideas like that. Yeah. And, you know, I just happen to be friends with, you know, some creative farming types and, you know, there's, we always, you know, talk about food and, you know, I don't know, it's just part of life. Um, but, you know, basic stuff, I'm not sure what to say other than, you know, I, well, let me, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, uh, the question is a real simple one, but can you talk about your brand, like the name Bardos and, and sort of, you know, some of the, you know, the stuff that's on your website, for example, and I can, you know, prompt you, but, you know, uh-huh. start with like the name Bardos and, you know, the sort of the labels that you guys used to use and where does, where does that come from? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of, it. it's a, it's a sort of an, a combination of the, you know, linear sort of colonial historical stuff that is, is interesting, but then also the, the nonlinear um, spiritual stuff also, because, you know, as people of, you know, European ancestry, North America, you're always kind of torn between these, you know, um, sort of shame and pride and this, this constant (laughs) pinging, you know, um, of of really remarkable stories but also like wait was that remarkable story actually like an atrocity i don't you know you can kind of there's different ways to look at stuff and you know i think colin and i have found refuge in sort of like um being able to create a container to kind of live live acknowledging both you know uh channels you could say which there's probably more than just those two but it's yeah. essentially Bar- the word Bardos, um, uh, growing up in Sonoma, there's a feed store called Brocco's. And um, it has just kind of like a cowboy sounding word. Um, yeah. uh, so Bardos sounded like that. But, but of course, Bardos is, is it's a very kind of conceptual, alchemical, mystical word. Uh, it's Tibetan of the sort of in-between states. Um uh, there's different bardos in between life states. So, so essentially, I think the idea of wine is you're capturing, um, a, you know, a, sp- a very charged spirit in between, um, you know, plant life form and human life form, and and it's been 
you know, it's 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 kind of, it is a very spiritual substance because it's very charged and it gets you high and you feel youthful or you know connected and in, in in certain ways. So it's kind of just playing with those uh, yeah. concepts. I like that. Mm. Yeah, I like that. Um, I like the the code that you guys developed for I guess on your labels to be able to you know identify what's in the bottle without alerting the ttb yeah (laughs) yeah i mean so so of course they look kind of witchy and they're little (laughs) alchemy symbols that that was that was uh just because we we encountered um the fact that you know the wine lobbyists you're not allowed you're technically not allowed to put varietals or um uh like ava or any any of that stuff although although we found that we we can sometimes it just depends on you know i'm sure you've experienced depends on what you get yeah um but so we kind of played it like you know like we were witches and you had to sort of talk in alchemical code in order to or else we'd be you know right taken <laughs> down by the bureaucracy or the you know the church and state or something <laughs> i want more of that that's fun uh-huh. well i don't want it i don't want it in reality it seems like our country could be heading in that direction which would not be good well but, yeah um... yeah yeah i mean yeah, I mean, it's really, it's really a, like, there's a lot of clues, like, we really just need to, like, be our own agents, you know, and um, really take this farming, st- like, working with the land and the plants, um, we can't rely on systems, we can, we can, again, it's like, we can acknowledge the systems and where they've got us, but we really need to, you know, work intuitively, I mean, that's, and then connecting with Colin, I mean, he's very intuitive, Um uh, we, we just, we get out there and it's like, it's very, it's very magical. You know, it's a very profound, magical experience being around these plants and stuff. And it feels like just the beginning, Hope, hopefully, you know. Yeah. Well, what, well, can you go a little bit into that? Like, uh, you know, any specific instances or specific impressions that you've had while you've been out there working or, or, you know, just getting back to that, like, what are you doing with the vineyards besides going and, you know, picking up apples once a year? I mean, we, there, there was one orchard, uh, this last season that we, we found, and I want to say it was planted in 1920. Um, it was the, the lady who lived there, it was her father or grandfather's maybe, and it had just been, completely overgrown with oak trees and these all these apple trees were basically buried in other you know plant life so Mm. we you know what we went out there and aaron and i spent quite a bit of time chainsawing um just sort of bringing uh, you know the sunlight back to these old trees and um Mm. you know that's just one example but being being in the orchard itself is just kind of a magical experience you know there's not you know nobody's really there you know so there's a, a solitude and you know there's wildlife um there's just layers of history when you're out there so a lot of room to dream it sounds like if you have lots of you know oaks overgrowing apples it's a beautiful probably spot for animals lots of food and forage for other creatures besides humans absolutely um nice so how how does this how big is your production at this point? Uh, we have okay, so that yeah, that's a good liaison from the last question. Um, so basically, the deals the deals we've sort of worked out is um, we will commit to an orchard, um, and each one is is totally different than the other in terms of arrangements. Where we in some cases will go out and get the fruit. Um, in other cases, the the property owner will have people that they feel comfortable doing that. So we'll kind of come help, but but really defer to the property owners. Um, um, you know, it could be a groundskeeper, it could be a um, somebody that does various kinds of work on the property for for a long time. So we just kind of negotiate these handshake deals. But typically, the way they the way they uh, pan out is is we we take everything we and then we prop and sort of clean up dead growth is is the mo um 
so so we take the fruit we want um clean up any uh fruit that's left maybe rotting because these because these orchards get really messy so they're it's it's something that the property owners typically like is if we help clean up so so we'll take the fruit we'll pay the um you know their people if necessary or we'll get friends to help and i mean you kind of know the drill there but um yeah uh so but then sometimes you turn around and there's you know there's 30 tons of fruit you know and you're and so it you are (laughs) you know you then have to figure out what's next so so the, the 2020 vintage there's 120 barrels sitting in a winery um that well um we have aged because um you know it's a paycheck to paycheck project right now and so we're sort of waiting to bottle that and we still have a good amount of 2020 left um but uh but also you know we've up until now we've really only done uh you know, bottle conditioning or sort of either a form of pet nat or dosage it with next vintages, fresh juice. Um, so really we'll do 2021 with 2022's juice. Probably I would, I would think. Right. Cause it's, cause it's, it's, I'm sure still at this point, right? Yeah. I mean, it's the same as wine. It, 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 it ferments out. I mean, yeah. In a well, that's, uh, yeah. Days. I was going to ask about that. Okay, yeah, that's what I was going to ask about. Like, how are you getting sparkle at that point? Yeah, um, we, the other thing is we had the harvest of apples is much broader than grapes. You know, it's first week of right. August is Gravenstein, and then you know it goes all the way into November, December if there's still stuff on the trees hanging there. Um, right, so you can use some of that later juice to yeah throw back in. Now, mm-hmm. do you have? I mean. Do you have trouble with getting referments happening once it's, especially if it's been like if you're putting 2022 into 2021? Like I imagine the yeast have pretty much all gone silent at that point, and you don't have a lot of microbial activity, even if you're not adding sulfur or filtering uh, just by aging. Yeah, we like, we've ha- we've been lucky enough to work with some, you know, pretty, you know, again starting with Derek. Uh, now we're in a space with Dan Person who does. Carbonista, who's just a master at sparkling wines. Um, okay. So, so basically, it's almost like bread, um, where you get the fresh juice. You know, you get it going. Um, right. You get a get a big, you know, healthy head on it just by letting it sit out. Um, then you sort of feed it into a blending tank with the wine. Um, Got and it. And if you really want to do it right you're like a baker where you sort of do it um a little bit every couple hours or something yeah uh and and do you have to i imagine there's some some math that's involved where you're measuring you've you've got the the still wine which is like negative bricks and then you're adding in something that's fermenting at x bricks and you want yeah x pressure going into bottles so you have to sort of measure how much of that fresh juice is being being blended in yeah typically you want it to be like half to one i mean i think some you know some people get into more sugar per um grant you know that sort of measuring because bricks is sort of a rough um right right gotcha but but um i mean then other people will do 10 percent. you know so it's depends on how we've had a lot of success with that with that ratio (laughs) 10 percent fresh juice (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but we do we do take in fresh juice and we test the sugar levels and then yeah we are doing precise math to yeah you know get it where we hopefully need it to get, to be so where you have fizz but not bombs basically mm-hmm. yeah yeah That's i mean the bombs always... you know the bombs can come you know some a lot you know a lot will say from you know not not filtering too and not disgorging because we don't disgorge um so there's a lot of sediment yeah. so it's it's still alive in there uh one, yeah. one time we um probably the most bomb like one uh is because we uh had fresh juice and cold storage uh kind of waiting till the bottling line was ready and we we brought it over and in the in you know in juice when you refrigerate stuff the the 
the water and the more solid unfiltered part will start to separate like in fresh apple juice like if you freeze right. fresh apple juice you always want to wait for the whole all of it to thaw because the sugars right. and the water sort of separate right. so the you make apple jack <laughs> well the scorpion test we got back was like the top of the of the tote <laughs> oh. you know and all the okay. sugar yeah. had sort of settled at the bottom so we we kind of did it wrong so that there was a lot more sugar in the juice than than our the moral of the <laughs> story you, is yeah. to stir the juice stir the juice yeah. <laughs> and you didn't uh you didn't did you like actually break glass were things actually no. exploding yeah. okay just when you opened it you had explosions basically yeah, it's not it's not terrible yeah so. if it's not you know 35 degrees you're you know you're it's it's going to come out of the top for that one right. that one uh cuvee <laughs> But then other times, you know, we'll 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 really kind of push the maceration too far, and uh, you know, it'll get a lot of VA. So then it then the yeast just kind of really can't carbonate the wine either. Um, so Which it's is, a yeah, it's a very kind of dramatic uh, living bottle of cider. Got it. So those um, are the two extremes. Okay. Yeah. But and that and that's pretty. I mean, that's pretty much the gist do you are you doing anything more complex than that i mean i i know you guys are kind of just trying to reflect that where these you know these cool old orchards so i'm mm-hmm. i know your approach is pretty minimal but is there i mean is there anything more complicated any or just something that you're doing experimentally i would i would just chime in here that you know bardos is very experimental in general so not <laughs> only are aaron and i learning as we go um from others and we're we're collaborating with other people throughout our process and um you know just having that spirit of experimentation is is what's exciting you know so we're trying new things you know we're talking about um you know not only these methods that we're talking about but um you know adding in different um you know other fruits or other herbs or you know these co-ferments um really trying to explore these sort of new realms of of the co-ferment world i mean that it's interesting to me you know you know we did one collaboration with wavy wines which was grapes and apples but you know what what else is possible out there in this sort of wine cider making world or yeah yeah i mean Right. It's, it's there's, yeah. there's lots. Right? And <laughs> and beer. I mean, so so um my girlfriend Hayden and I will sort of walk through, you know, the creek in the summer and like get plums and mugwort and, you know, uh rose petals or just whatever is in the neighborhood and then um uh you know, macerate the plums in a bucket and then make some tea out of the mugwort and rose petals or something and then Maybe there's a quince you grind up or some rose hips or something. Um, Colin and I did a good quince rose hip cider that was pretty crazy. Um, but uh, things like that. So so I, there was this one they were doing where it was basically plums and these sort of herbal teas. You know, you, you get, um, but then the, you know, the fermentation grabs, you put an airlock on it and then you leave it. And then it's like, what is it? It's not, is it, it's sort of water. It's like a, a tisane and uh, like a fruit. Fruit is the, you know, yeast and the sugar. I mean, I'm sure there's yeast on the plants. So right. it's, it's, and it's really good. It kind of, it tastes more like a sour beer than like anything else I could really put my finger on. Mm. But, um, yeah. yeah, I mean, the frontier is wide open. I mean, it's, it's yeah. pretty neat what's going on and um, people's palates are, are ready for now. I mean, yeah, it's, it's pretty yeah. exciting. Um, I'm glad, I'm glad to hear you say that. Yeah. That's been, that's what I'm finding as well. I mean, and I, I don't know how niche my world is, so it's nice to hear somebody else, but yeah, of course you probably fit right into that niche mm-hmm. <laughs> that I'm interested in. So, um, but I do. I, I agree. I think I've seen more and more of that, um, more and more openness and expansion of palates yeah. and, and, and hunger. Thirst is probably the better word yeah. for the, for something that isn't 
you know, the same thing that we've been drinking for the last 70 years. Yeah. Um, I mean, I will say apples and grapes just as a kind of a, um, as a foundation fruit, they really, they really get whatever you're doing a lot further than, you know, I've experienced with just plums or something, but, um, right. You know, like they, yeah, there is a the reason. Oranges. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There is a reason that they are, you know, as popular and have, these huge ancient traditions behind them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they do well in many ways. And yeah, I mean, for sure. I mean, even with, we're, we're working with prickly pears yeah. here because that's, you know, our indigenous sort of juicy fruit down here. And yeah, I, I mean, you just uh, like, you know, the chemistry is all crazy. You know, it's like, I you know, the easiest thing to do is just add it to grapes, you know, add it into some nice, white grapes or something like yeah, that where exactly. you know you're getting you're getting the balance of everything else going there i mean you can certainly make a prickly pear thing by itself but it, you know there's i don't like know you you said, know, maybe, I mean, you I, maybe i'm just learning heaving though because it, it you you want to kind of starve it and keep some rs on there to keep yeah it almost, yeah that's... his personality goes away it doesn't there's no plum right. left or there's no prickly pear right. left or orange exactly or, yeah, it's like you, you lose that sort of, I mean, with prickly pears, you lose like, there's a, you know, like a, I don't even eat candy, but like the juicy fruit, I mean, it's this super crazy tropical fun thing. And then you taste it and you're like, oh, this is like gin once it's fermented, yeah. you know, it's more mm-hmm. botanical and like completely herbal and all that, you know, tropical stuff is, is gone. Yeah. I mean, it's still good. It's just a, you know, you know, you're like, oh, I liked that stuff too. And it would be great to have all of that. Yeah. Somehow. Um, yeah. And rose hips, it's funny you mentioned rose hips. I've been playing around with those too. Those, I mean, I, I, if I, if I'm correct, I think they're part of, I mean, I think roses and apples uh-huh. are essentially part of the same family, yeah. right? They're, they're like a rose hip is essentially a tiny little apple yeah. and you bite like into it. Apple. it has, yeah. T- it tastes like it. It's got the seeds in it, just like an apple. It's funny. Um, yeah, ours, uh, we, that we, I think we put too many rows. I mean, again, you don't want to put that much in there. Um, Very tannic, right? Yeah. And God, it tasted just like emergency kind of. It tasted medicinal. <laughs> you know, it was like very fruity, but it had a, right. uh, um, you know, not to, you know, it tastes, yeah, it had a kind of a medicinal. Well, that's interesting. And maybe it would be good to, sort of balance something that's kind of a more flat fruit like a dessert apple or something like that mm-hmm. where you're at you know you're giving some of that texture mm-hmm. to the blend um yeah that might be fun all right we're we'll get, <laughs> work on some ideas well, and then, like that. Yeah, of course there's so many kinds of rose hips that look dramatically different than others so you you'd want to sort of right. uh understand um right the, what, the difference what they there. are i remember yeah. in europe they would um they would have roast hip, uh, um, like, um, so, you know, like a syrup for, for, you know, like pancakes type things and stuff. And, and, you know, there's not as much maple syrup over there. So they have these, I would see rose hip syrup everywhere. And it's amazing. I mean, it's interesting, really concentrated source of vitamin C, which is, you know, the kind of citric acid experience you're getting. Um, Right. So it's, immensely medicinal you know um and good for your immune yeah. system and everything yeah great survival food apparently mm-hmm. if, if if anybody watches alone it seems oh, like they're always eating funny. rose hips yeah. <laughs> um well can you talk a little bit about the boons that you uh talk about on the website oh yeah um well that goes back to you know colin and i connecting um it, it sort of started with these kind of human stories um that we connected through uh, and you know the discoveries you make it's it sort of you know when you're in the orchard it, it kind of shifts your it changes your imagination you start you if you go there then you when you leave you notice the different things or different values or um, different um buried uh stories of 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 characters you know like colin was saying it's sort of a treasure hunt because you know we live in a world in the united states where certain narratives are are valued or told um you know through education channels so it's it's really groundbreaking when you find alternative 
versions, you know, again, like indigenous mm. or, um, yeah. and, uh, and so it was just sort of fun, um, you know, using these multivalent narratives of, um, the history of California, you know, which of course was, was Mexico not long ago. And then before that, you know, indigenous. So there's so much recent yet forgotten, um, evidence of, of these, um, platitudes of, you know, perspectives. And, um, and so that was, that, that's what sort of, you feel like you're speaking on behalf of them in a, in a way, when you start getting in the dirt and sort of finding these, the orchards themselves that have been forgotten or neglected seems, mm. you know, like a metaphor for these, these cool characters that you discover. Yeah. I um, love that. Are, how did you choose to highlight the ones that you have highlighted? Uh, Can I read something from your website? Because I think it's just well-written. Sure. Um, (laughs) I'll quote you guys back to you. Making Cider, this is from your website. Making Cider, we are visited by a chorus of characters from the past. Music rises from the underworld through the terroir. During winemaking, visionary visitations, costumed as plants, fruit, and soil, conjure the figures of history, simultaneously long dead and resurrected. Um, And then you... And that's just a snippet. It goes on. But um, you give some highlights uh, of some some cool, I, I mean, I assume cool <laughs> characters. And I'm just, I don't know if you want to talk about one or two of those or how you chose the, the characters that are there, how they came into your world. Uh, yeah, well, um, uh, let, me, let me pull it up real quick. Um, I'm just thinking out loud while... Yeah. While there's a pause, you know, when we're, you know, prior to Bardos and into Bardos, you know, being out in the orchards and just sort of imagining this place that we live in um, through the layers of history and sort of imagining what life might have been like, you know, 100 years ago, 200 years ago, you know, in the spot that you're sort of, you know, in in the moment. And and through that um you know, we we're we're constantly researching stories and history of all these different people that have you know lived here in California um, and maybe elsewhere. But um, and you know, finding the relationships within those stories to you know our present moment. Um, you know, and there are just many different characters that were part of California history that you know it's you know creating bardos is sort of a vehicle to tell their stories uh, mm. i yeah. love that i i really want to incorporate that because there's some great i mean i have some you know i have some hero i you know i would just refer to them as heroes but i like this the, the term boons better it's a little more humanizing in a way um and and also magicalizing <laughs> in, in another way yeah. um but it I yeah, the, I mean, I I feel that down here too, and I really like want to bring some of those people uh, to attention too. People like Biddy Mason, who's like a Los Angeles sort of character that I don't think enough people know about. She's yeah. just got an am- amazing story. Exactly. Um. Yeah, and and then yeah, yeah, and and people, yeah, even you know, her story is intertwined with other people that I think have really interesting parts to play both in her story, but just on their own. And mm-hmm. yeah, and, and there's many more than that, you know, that's just one example, but yeah, I love this idea and I love the sort of respect that it pays. And I also love that, you know, you, when you have that sense of history, that sounds like you guys have, it's like you, you kind of, re- especially you're working with apples that predate, you know, the industrial revolution. Well, not exactly, but you know, are as old as it and you can in, you can see how brief a time all this you know all of this uh excitement that we currently live in has occupied you know how how very brief of a window of time what we think of as like the dominant world has been the dominant world you know it's mm-hmm. just a little blip in time um and yeah, I the, I know there's something very liberating and and encouraging about that. I was going to ask you guys about you know what what you guys do to avoid cynicism to these days. You know, in your in your approach to cider making and in your business, uh, but maybe just in general as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'll I'll, but, I'll just say you know having 
these figures as sort of symbols, you they help you know because you you feel like you're working in service of them or you know in devotion to them. Um, so you just gotta follow follow the clues they've given you, and then it it definitely unfolds. I mean, I think Colin and Jackie and Evan and I, our conversations have evolved, and the, the business itself um, is you know is we're realizing a business too. So it, it's its own entity, you know? Um, so, so all these figures that, you know, lured us into the orchards and stuff and, you know, spirits and playful kind of, um, experiences, um, are almost kind of growing up in a funny way. And I think, I think we've been talking a lot more about like, what is just basic you know, what does farming mean for these orchards? You know, it's become a little less about some of the characters and more like, wow, we got to, we got to save these orchards, you know, Mm. it's almost like, you know, if you really, if you really get out of your own way, um, all of these characters kind of like little fairies or something like brought us, brought us here, but there's actually a bigger job to be done, you know, which I think Mm. is to figure out, you know, uh, how to save old things, you know, that take that that require much less uh, water, that require much less um, work. Um, how do we pay people? Um, you know, uh, respect. How do you know? How do we scale this thing in order to pay people? In order to make a product that um, really, um, you know, triumphs and advocates for you know dry farm things, and you know. Uh, pesticide-free things and uh, things that aren't, um, you know, there's no sulfites, you know, so, so it's a living product that helps your, you know, microbiology and um, things that we're just learning about now. Uh, and uh, I think, you know, to go back to what you were saying about these, these, these characters that you want to tell stories about, all that stuff kind of comes through, through, storytelling and it's like the you know in a very literal way these those characters comprise the soil that you know is making the product that we're creating so it's this sort of narrative uh loop Mm. but those but i think what we're realizing now is that they've called us to do something that i think that was bigger than we realized initially Mm. i like that and and i i I love that you brought up the scale thing because I, I've been thinking a lot more about that as well. Like I, I think I mentioned, you know, uh, that uh, Chris Newman, the the guy that I've been listening to and, uh, you know, one of his big criticisms of like the regenerative movement, um, regenerative agriculture movement is that, you know, is it really going to change anything to have a bunch of small farms doing good work? I mean, it's great that they're doing that. It's not, not, not to take away from that, but... But does that does that move the needle? And you know, I think the answer may be no. You know, we we might need to stop, you know, being precious about our little thing. I mean, I'm speaking to myself here, not to you guys or anybody else. But you know, I, I may need to get out of my my little small thinking and start thinking about how to move this to a bigger scale that actually can affect change uh, in a way that's more meaningful and that you know, that more people can get on board with because it's, because it's viable in a, in a way that we're, you know, we're talking about millions and millions of people who are interacting with it versus, you know, a couple hundred or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I think those are the scales that we live in now. Um, Mm -hmm. And yeah. I mean, I would say the um, just awareness of where our food comes from, you know, was, has, you know, in, in my perspectives of, uh, you know, we, some of us have lost, you know, including myself before I came back to Sonoma, you know, I just really was not aware of, of what was going into my body. And I, right. you know, there is a big movement, obviously, uh, you know, to take better care of ourselves and, you know, be aware of those, you know, what's going on with our, our, our food and what we're ingesting and applying that to, to Bardos, you know, we're really focused on, you know, fruit trees that, you know, are, you know, have, have been there for a long time and promoting, you know, not spraying, you know, trying to, you know, just inspire or raise awareness about, you know, the unnecessaries of, 
you know, right. industrial farming. And, um, you know, there's, it's important for us to be aware of the, of what we put into our bodies. And, you know, so making, making Bardos for me is, you know, it's something that I want to drink. You know, I know that we didn't do a lot to it. Um, and, um, you know, one question is it, is it good for you? Maybe. <laughs> well, I always think, you know, I had that conversation with somebody at a, at a, a, a liquor store once where I was like, do you have any organic whiskey? And they're like, I don't think so. And they're like, but it doesn't matter. It gets distilled so many times, you know, you're not really getting, and I was like, I, I honestly don't care what I'm putting into my body. I care what I'm putting into the world. You know, like, that's why I ask it's, you know, whether, whether my health is impacted or not, if it's grown without those chemicals, then the world is not receiving those chemicals and the environment isn't receiving those chemicals. And ultimately I think that's healthy for me. Yeah, totally. And, and everyone else, you know, it has a much bigger impact um, rather than just whatever I'm, I'm consuming at that moment. Uh, So there's, yeah, I love, I love that. Um, Well, you guys, I, I really, uh, it sounds like there's a real, I really appreciate the sort of very thoughtful and, you know, I, I hate to use the word spiritual, but I don't know how else to put it kind of approach that you guys have to cider making. Um, <laughs> it sounds very California to use. Yeah. That well, that that's kind of a joke because we do use that word a lot, just trying to normalize it almost because. <laughs> Good for um, you. Good. All right. But there's also the, the euphemism, of course. I mean, it's not a distilled spirit, but. Right. Yeah. So. That's always fun. The double entendre. Yeah. Um, so I found out about you guys, strangely enough, uh, here in Culver City, just a few miles from my house at a place called the Jolly Oyster, where oh, yeah. they, they, they serve some really nice stuff and, you know, wines and, and I was like, by any chance do you guys have a cider? And they're like, yeah, but it's really dry. And I was like, perfect. Like, please let me have that. Um, almost like apologetically and, and you know, it was a, it was, you know, it was like a, what is it? A, a, what, I don't even think, was it a 500 milliliter? Is that what you guys are bottling in? F- but is five it, and seven fifties. Yeah. The, yeah, so a lot of the 19, five, yeah. all the 19 was 500, I think. And then, yeah. So it was a 500 and, and popped that on the way home and was like, you know, Wendy was driving me home, of course. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I was like, oh my God, like, I think I just discovered something really good. And, you know, it, it just had all the hallmarks of a really distinctive, naturally made, you know, just lovely experience, you know, unique and alive and really wonderful. So compliments on that. It was the mestizo. I don't know what you guys call it. It's, it has mestizo on the mm-hmm. label. Yeah. Um, Is it yellow or green? I think it was green. Okay. Mm-hmm. What's yeah. that one? That's our winter walker. Yeah, those the are winter later, walker. later varietals. Mm-hmm. Is that inspired by Game of Thrones by any chance? No, no, no. I've never <laughs> seen Game of Thrones. Actually, <laughs> I'm oh, intimidated. Wow. <laughs> I have. Well, have you, okay. Colin? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. Whew. And your website is bardocider.com. I'm just going to shout that out. Is there other ways that you get out in the world or want people to interact with you? I think that's it for now. I mean, you know, we we have this distribution and. California, Arizona, New Mexico, Texas, Illinois, and New York, and then through New York, uh, Maine, and Massachusetts. But um, uh, yeah, because we are making a decent amount, and it's still we're yeah, sort, it sort like of it. educating people about you know cider, and it's a pretty stigmatized uh, medium. So we're you know it's one light bulb <laughs> at a time that goes off. Yeah, it's so crazy. I know, just even the people selling it are, were, were sort of selling it to me apologetically, you know. I mean, I love that, you know, they, they've been great. I, I think it was the the wine person wasn't there who, who sold me that. So uh-huh. it was like, you know, one of their regular servers and was like, yeah, it's just, it's really dry. And I was like, okay, Oh, yeah, exactly. That's funny. I will have that, please. Yeah, that's funny. Um, <laughs> it's like, that, that sounds like real cider is what you're trying to tell me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> There was uh, a, a sparkling wine person from California in the 60s or 70s who I stumbled on some. They worked with a certain Pinot uh, varietal, like an old, old, trying to trace the origin of, of that varietal. But anyways, um, they were 
they had this whole sort of story of their experience with making sparkling wine in California, which was that it was it was years and years of educating people that sparkling wine didn't have to be pink and sweet. It could be a <laughs> elevated, you know, um, right uh, pairing yeah. wine, um, right, which was just unheard of. And it's you know that's kind of what we're experiencing with cider, but it's, it's really, it never gets old watching people have that experience that, that we've all had, you know, where, yeah. where the, the, the doors are blown open and you, you realize, wow, this could be, this is a whole other, you know, um, playing field here. Yeah. Yep. That, that is a fun thing. I guess that's why I'm so excited about cider. Cause I've had that more recently, like with wine that happened to me along much longer ago yeah um but mm-hmm. cider it's i feel like it's more recent and i feel like it happens more often where i taste you know i'm tasting ciders that again i think it's the culture of ciders people who are using these things that have been a lot of times you know in on the east coast they're they're just feral you know they're like in the national forest or well that's the know, other that, thing, that yeah. Kind of thing yeah so technically then, we sort of use the word gleaning more and there you're foraging because they grow wild there you know you'll get we'll get seedling apples on the edge of the orchard and stuff um there you know they will grow a bit wild up in the in the sierras but on the east coast i mean they're everywhere you know yeah yeah it's like yeah like part of the forest really exactly yeah it's cool yeah and that i mean and then but still it's just like these these kind of experiences are not the kind of wine that you get you know, like mm-hmm. wine is not from these marginal sort of wild spaces. It's from very cultivated areas usually. Yeah. And, yeah. and it's usually a very cultivated experience. Yeah. And I think, I think that's why I'm very excited or, or more excited recently with more ciders because it's like, you're getting these things. You're just like, wow, this is so, so specific. It's so unique. Yeah. It's cool. Everybody. That's the other thing is people say like, so who's your competition? It's like, I mean, nobody, because the more we normalize this, the more broader of an audience we'll get. And yeah, and the more nuanced it is. I mean, it's just it's just fun trying different ones. You know, I mean, they're 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 all really unique when when people yeah. are doing it, you know, authentic ways. Right. Right. And I mean, and there's a good number who are. That's yeah. Just the great thing. Yeah. Super cool. Like, and almost attracts you types, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um. Well, thank you so much for this. I, it's really great getting to know you and, and hopefully getting some other people to know you. Is uh, any, any closing words about what you do and why you do it or I, what you'd like people to know about you that we haven't covered? I mean, I think that we were constantly searching for historical orchards. You know, there's, I have one story I could quickly share about you yeah, know, please. Our, um, our last collaboration that we did with Wavy and there was a, an old homestead with a bunch of apple trees um, where we went and picked the apples and, uh, you know, some, that cider's in barrel. But, you know, we had another experience out in the Mendocino forest where at one point in history, I guess they clear cut most of the redwood forest out there. And uh, mm-hmm. they had the idea of turning all the land into pasture land. And so mm-hmm. there was some sort of connection between UC Davis and this area where they, UC Davis planted all these apple trees in this new pasture land. And, uh, and then over time, the redwood forest grew back and there's just mm-hmm. a plethora of old apple trees out in the redwoods of Mendocino. Oh, wow. And so, you know, for anybody who might be listening, um, you know, we're, we're looking for these types of orchards or, you know, stories, buried stories in California history in the landscape. And, um, you know, so we're, we're open to, you know, finding new orchards, new places and telling their stories. And is, is the website the best way to contact you with anything like that? Yeah. 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 Okay. All right. Yeah. com. Yeah. And also, um, if, if, I mean, I, I think a, a new goal on the horizon is, is yeah, how to preserve these derelict orchards that, you know, in California are a hot commodity for real estate. So if there's a way to mm. kind of, um, advocate for these, because they, they get bulldozed one by one. I mean, there's, there's, 
a lot of them still, but at this rate, um, we're going to lose them all, uh, for, you know, for, for vineyards that, um, you know, it takes, it takes a pretty enormous heavily... carbon footprint to bulldoze and, you know, a 50 acre orchard and plant all that stuff and what, you know, and then and they're putting in irrigation with those. Yeah. So I think there's enough and yet they're ripping out other, other vineyards. So that's sort of the, the narrative that we're interested in exploring is how do we, how do we use and what we have and how do we advocate for what we have? I mean, in wine, you see all these uh, varietals becoming cool again, you know, that were sort of out of vogue. And I think that that's something to really focus on um, is, is yeah. using, using what we have and really um, looking around you, seeing what's, you know, what's in your community. Um, you know, it, it inspires yeah. you to, you know, talk to your neighbors or talk to people you don't know. And, um, instead of, instead of having this kind of like design approach, you sort of have this sort of documentary approach or something where you're really just kind of capturing what already exists. You're not building oh, I love the ground that. up. Um, yeah. It's not so much an ego, uh, expression as a, you know, reflection, you know, working in services of something rather than trying to imprint your ego desires on to something yeah because if you look at the world that way i mean there's there is an abundance around us all yeah you know um it may not be what in your in your mind's eye you wanted but you'll be surprised if if there's a reciprocity with your community environment that there's so much potential yeah that's great um that's a good parting shot i think you guys, thank you so much. This has been a really fun conversation and and unexpected and I think a really good introduction to you, I hope. I hope yeah. I hope. Uh, <laughs>